Glad that you're here. Uh, again, I'm Jack, one of the pastors, and uh, just an honor to have you here. We've been in this series called Jesus and we're actually technically walking through big chunks or sections of the gospel of Luke. You'll know there's four gospel accounts that give the story, kind of the biography, the history, the life, the teaching, the, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and that's the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And the gospel of Luke is kind of a sweet gospel because in a lot of ways, Luke went out and got eyewitness accounts and he's interviewing and he's telling these stories and passing on. Each gospel kind of has a, an angle to it. A lot of them have similar stories. One of them uh, does, and the story we're gonna look at tonight is a little bit different, but there's topics of it all around. And tonight we're going to look at something that I know is going to put you on edge. So I just want you to kind of loosen up a little bit, okay? Just kind of, if you want to stretch out, you say hi to your neighbor, you know, whatever you want to do, wave. I just want you to loosen up because I know when I say what this is going to be, you'll be like, whoa, dude, why'd I come tonight? Um, So um, tonight we're going to talk about Jesus and money. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Some of you, you're like, man, this is my first week here. I met three of you, um, and I, I know, I know, and it, it feels maybe like, whoa, uh, this is getting too touchy too fast. I, I thought this was supposed to be like Jesus loves everybody type thing. Uh, he does, um, and the truth is what he has to say about money really matters. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's all the church does is talk about money. That's not true. Um, you know, we talk about money because, in essence, maybe about two, three times a year, partly because Jesus actually had a lot to say about money. He had more to say about money than heaven, hell, and marriage combined. So it's pretty important. There's over 2,300 verses in the whole Bible that talk about money and how we manage it, how we handle it. So we don't talk about money all the time. We do talk about sex all the time. So come back next week. It'll be a great time. We'll enjoy that uh, together. So it'll be fun. Um, Just kidding, kind of. Uh, But if you have your Bibles, you can go to Luke chapter 16, or you can open YouVersion. In fact, I want to encourage you to go to YouVersion tonight because I put a lot of the things I'm not going to have time to get to in a couple different articles in there that you might enjoy reading. Uh, YouVersion is that free Bible app you can download. If you just click on live events, you can go to Element City Church and find us and begin to navigate and understand a few different things. And here's the principle we want to look at. Because in every arena, every area of life, if we want to know what God has to say about it, that it's important for us. And here's a principle uh, to kind of give. When you see as God sees, you are more inclined to do what he says. When you see as God sees, you're more inclined to do as he says. And what we're trusting in is that God is the creator of everything, the creator of all things, actually has some wisdom about all the things and everything that we have to navigate in life. And that's what we've been looking at through this series is Jesus and all these different kind of themes or topics or situations that you have to navigate that we see him navigating. And today we're gonna kind of peek in on a conversation that he has with his disciples, okay? Now his disciples are those who've kind of surrendered their life to following after Jesus and getting around him. So you might be here tonight and you're checking out church for the very first time in a long time and I think it's awesome that you're here. I know it takes guts coming to a new place and so I'm thrilled that you're here. And you kind of get get to peek in a little bit behind the curtain for those of us who are followers of Jesus to understand what Jesus really has to say about money because in essence what he's going to talk about in this story, this parable that you might hear it called, this story of what he's going to unfold is what, how does God view my stuff? 
You know, how does God view money? How do we understand that? And we're gonna kind of have like a 30,000 foot view, okay? This is kind of like a macro level view of how God perceives your stuff, your money, the things that you have to, your resources, your time, your energy, all those kind of things put together, but really specifically about money and about your stuff, okay? How many of you have stuff? How many of you have money? Okay, so like, no matter, how many of you feel like you'd never have any money? Okay, so the truth is you dig, you drove here, okay? Or you, maybe you walked and you bought a thirst buster on the way. You have money in, in some way. So in some capacity, you have to navigate this. So wouldn't, what it would be like to understand how God sees this. And so that's kind of where we're gonna go tonight and uh, we'll have a good time. You ready? Let's jump in. So Luke chapter 16, Jesus is having this conversation with his followers, okay? These are those who are kind of surrendered their life to him, kind of following him around. They're maybe even still investigating him a little bit, but they are those that are committed to him. And so that's who he's speaking to. And that's important to know that. It's important for us to understand that if you're a Christian, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you're even aimed your life in his direction somewhat, then it's important to understand what he has to say about this because in all likelihood, it should impact how you now live. If you truly are someone who says, hey, this, this matters to me because he matters to me and he saved me and his grace is leading me forward. Now, you may think that um, God just wants to take your money that's not why we're here. The government takes your money, right? Can we get an amen? Okay. If Jesus wanted to take your money, he could. You know why? He's bigger than the U.S. government, okay? He's also bigger than any political race going on right now, so it's okay. <sighs> Let's cut the tension in the room, okay. If God really wanted your money, He'd take it. But the psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Psalm 24, one. The whole world and everyone. God, God's not trying to steal your lunch money, okay? And this isn't what God wants from you. This really has to do with what God wants for you for you to see things, and for you to have a perspective in life that's maybe different than what the world tries to tell us, what the world tries to teach us and cram down our throat when it comes to this idea of money because every single one of us has to navigate this. You will. In fact, my hunch is you'll spend the rest of your life dealing with this. It's not something that goes out of style. It's not something that fades. You have to deal with it. Now, in this, uh, we're going to kind of unpack this parable a little bit, and then Jesus, uh, he didn't do this all the time, but often he would tell a parable and people would be a little confused because Jesus' stories never seem to go the way that the people think they're going to go, and then he actually explains a little bit of what's going on here toward the end of the story, but let's read through the story together. Luke 16, here we go, you ready? Jesus told his disciples, remember he's gathered around with them, there was a rich man whose manager was, uh, <clears throat> was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in, and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you can no longer be my manager. So we got a really filthy, stinking rich dude who's out playing golf, and he's got a money manager, right? This money manager is handling all this guy's money. How many of you think that would be an awesome life to have, right? No one, really. Let me go back to my notes. 
money manager managing all this guy's money. This guy doesn't have anything to do. He's out playing golf, playing tennis, flying around. Uh, well, I don't know if they had jets back then, but he's handling stuff, and then he's got this money. He hears something about his money manager, and he says, hey, you give an account for what's going on because you're not going to be my manager anymore. Basically, he's firing the guy. But here's what he's saying. You have a little bit of time to get things working. What he's really saying is, I know you have some deals in the work, so just finish those up, and then you bring me the black books, and you bring me the ledgers, and we're done. And so this guy, hit with this moment, has basically a two-week notice, right? Some of you have felt that that sting of a two-week notice. You're like, oh, hey, close to home. Um, this guy begins to wonder what's going to happen. So he goes on, verse 3. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? Now is a time word, isn't it? There's a shelf life to this. What am I going to do now? My master is taking away my job. I am not strong enough to dig ditches. Amen. And I am ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when, when is a time word again, right? This is a shelf life, that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their house. So he's putting together a plan. He's saying, hey, wow, I've got a little bit of time. I've still got authority. I've got a little bit of, a little bit of opportunity. And I, I, I know I can't dig ditches. I just can't go there. I've been managing this guy's money. It's just not my life, and I, and I don't want to beg. And, and so how do I figure out a plan? And so he figures out this plan, and he goes about calling all the people that he's still working out these deals with, and he calls them in one by one. Let's read through. Here we go. Verse 5. So he called in each one of his master's debtor. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager said, man, that's going to take you a long time to pay back, isn't it? 900. That's a lot. I tell you what, why don't you knock that down to 450? Do you have 450 right now? I mean, I got 450 right now. I could pay that off. Well, I'll tell you what, you knock it down to 450. Uh, let's just sign this deal right here, and, and we'll, we'll call it 450. We'll call it good. We'll get things evened up. And, and does that sound okay with you? And the guy's like, well, uh, are, are you on drugs? Um, because, like, you just cut my bill in half. Uh, of course, I'll pay that right now, and we'll be done, and we'll be happy. So he signs a deal, right? Goes to leave, and he turns, and he gets to the door, probably. He turns around back to the guy and says, hey, that was, that was really nice of you. I tell you what, if there's anything I can ever do for you, you just let me know. And I bet that guy was like, I will let you know if there's anything you can do for me. Maybe sooner than you think. He goes to the next guy. He says, hey, what do you owe my master? How much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, I'll tell you what, take your bill. Can you do 800 instead of a thousand? A thousand's a lot. Can you do 800? Can we just do that right now? And he's like, sure, I've got 800. I can do that. We can knock it out, be done. We just get it done. So they sign the deal, 800. Guy goes to leave. I'm sure he turns around and says, man, thanks. Like, who does that? Like, cuts their bill down. Thank you for doing that. Man, if there's anything I can ever do for you, you just, you just let me know. Okay, I'll, I'll be sure to call you if I need something down the line. I bet he was calling through all these deals he had. Where It's deal day in this guy's world, right? And he's wheeling and dealing and making deals, and things are being sold, and things are taken up, and then his master calls him in. What's interesting is typically when Jesus is telling this story, or any parable, most people are trying to figure out where they fit in the parable. 
they're trying to figure out, okay, okay, I know, I think when Jesus tells these stories, like, someone's gotta represent God, like, someone's gotta represent me, so, like, which way, maybe they're thinking, man, this guy, the word on the street was right, this guy's, like, weasel, man, he's just, he, he's just ripping off his master even out the door, he's just wheeling and dealing, Maybe this guy really is as bad. He's a crook as much as what his master heard. I bet his master's gonna throw that guy in jail forever because that's how it worked in the first century. You couldn't pay your debts. That's where you went. Aren't you glad that changed? (laughs) That's the deal of what's going on. Then Jesus continues the story and brings confusion to everybody. Verse 8. The master uh, commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. What? Um, (coughs) what, what? Like, the guy was dishonest, and he gets commended. Like, he gets a medal out of the door. Hey, you acted shrewdly. Aren't you mad? Yeah, I'm still mad. You ripped me off, but I was sharp thinking. (laughs) You can't dig ditches. And you're not going to go beg. That was actually pretty smart, how you you leveraged a little bit of time that you had and and a little bit of opportunity for your future good. That was really sharp. That was shrewd. That was detailed. It was determined. And you did it. You're still fired. Give me the books. But that was sharp. I'll give you that. And people are probably looking at Jesus going, so, like, Am I supposed to be dishonest? Like, is that the moral of this story? Am I supposed to be a cheat? Like, am I supposed to rip people off? Is that where we're going, Jesus? Is that the point of the story? And typically, Jesus would tell these parables and stop. And people would be like, oh, I don't know. It's confusing. But here, Jesus goes on to explain to his followers the story. So we're out of the story now. And Jesus is sitting down with his early followers, and he begins to explain what's going on. Here's what he says. Verse 9, or continue of verse 8. The master committed the dishonest uh, servant because he'd acted shrewdly. Then he says, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. Who are the people of the light? God's people, followers of God. The people of this world who believe this is it. This is all there is. There is no eternal uh, destination. There is no effect of everything. What you see is what you get. This is all we have. That they are more shrewd in making dealings, trying with their little bit of time and their little bit of opportunity to set things up for their future, which is actually now and has a shelf life to it. Everybody meets their end. But in their mind, nothing else is beyond this. And these people are more shrewd in their dealing, more determined in their dealing than people of the light, people who are followers of God who realize this is not all there is. What you see is not everything that is and that exists. There is an eternity. There is things that matter. There is people whose lives hold in the balance. There is a heaven and everyone's gonna live somewhere forever. And there's a deal going on that is beyond this world. And yet so often, followers, people of the light, followers of God, don't deal with the resources they have and the little bit of time and the little bit of opportunity to maximize a future good. 
and Jesus is beginning to understand and begin to drill down, it's not about the manager. It's not about the owner. This is about a principle of how God views your stuff, of how God views your money. He goes on. This is what he says. I tell you, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed in eternal dwellings. This may be a stretch for a little bit. I think what Jesus is getting at and driving to is this understanding that the little bit of time that we have and the little bit of opportunity, the little bit of our stuff, your earthly wealth, what he's talking about, literally is this idea that your wealth is temporary. One day, everything you own will burn up. I have never seen a Hertz with a U-Haul. You can't take it with you, can you? Nobody does. From the richest of the rich to the poorest of the poor, no one can take a dime with them. And so what Jesus is trying to get his followers to understand is that maybe the shrewdness of what we see in this and what we think would be a bad guy, but the principle in which he is living out, maybe I think that's why Jesus is telling the story because it's so counterintuitive. We want to label, that's bad. But the reality is the principle he put in place was actually really sharp and really smart. To leverage the little bit of time that you have and the little bit of opportunity and the little bit that you have, the temporary stuff you have for an eternal good that will matter way more than anything else you can buy, purchase, or obtain. In our culture, we are drilled home. It is about accumulation and consumption. Accumulation and consumption. Accumulation and consumption. And I think what Jesus is trying to drill home, this is about circulation. This is about getting the things that you have because here's the reality. It's not even yours. This is where it begins to push against people. Well, no, 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 preacher dude. That's my money. I worked hard for it. Who gave you the ability to work hard for it? Sure, you, you could pull yourself up by the bootstraps, but who gave you the gumption, the knowledge, the ability, the health to do it? Because not everyone is blessed that way, but you've been blessed that way. You can leverage the little bit of time, the little bit of energy, the little bit of opportunity that you have for your good, and you can make it about you. You're welcome to do that. A lot of people do and they feel an emptiness. Why? Because there's never enough. Isn't that true? No matter what bracket you're in, there's always this longing for something what? More, just a little bit more. That's what we need. And I think what Jesus is beginning to drive home is there's these worldly consumptions when it's all about accumulation and consumption and it's this unending cycle that doesn't do anything but we want you to live with this idea of circulation, of taking your temporary stuff, realizing that it's temporary. You can't take it with you. It may be here for this season and gone for the next. You don't know. You can plan, and it's smart to plan. It's wise to do that. But you're not guaranteed, neither am I. 
And so leverage the little bit of time and the little bit of opportunity that you have with the little bit of resources that you have to give into something eternally good. What would it be like? What will it be like when you get to heaven because you've surrendered your life to Christ and you're walking down the golden streets and it's super sweet and some random person walks up to you and says, thank you, thank you. I'm here because of you, buddy, I don't know you. I know you don't know me, but you don't understand. When you supported that church, when you gave to that organization, when you helped out that person, they're the one who introduced me to our Heavenly Father. And I'm here because of you. You leveraged your little bit of time, your little bit of opportunity, your little bit of stuff for a greater eternal good and impact, and I'm here because of you. Thank you. How amazing will that be? You may never know this side of heaven the impact that your investment can make and will make in the lives of people. And Jesus is trying to expand the vantage point of his followers to see. Listen, you can either just coast or you can begin to try to leverage the little bit of time that you have in this world, the little bit of opportunity the little bit of resources, and remember, it's not your resources anyway. I own everything, and I gave you the ability. I'm just calling you to be a manager. That's why the Bible, when it talks about stewardship or managing, that's how we're to approach but, uh, money. We're not owners, friends. There's one owner. He owns it all, and he's blessed us. He gives us the ability to work hard to make, and we shouldn't be lazy with that. We should invest and use the skill sets and resources that we have to the fullest of their potential. But to understand that you are called to manage. Now remember, Jesus is talking to followers of him. Now you may be here, and you're like, well, okay, I'm not really there yet. I'm kind of curious about Jesus. I think he's cool, and he's got a lot of nice things to say. That's okay. I hope that you begin to understand Jesus is talking about money because it matters. Not so much for him. He owns everything. He's got it. His bank account is just fine. What he's wanting is for you not to be caught up in the grip of accumulation, consumption, maybe even collection, because the joy is not there. You know this to be true. When you have given, when you've practiced generosity and seen it lived out in a healthy and good way, doesn't it bring you joy? Doesn't it just kind of put a little wind in your sails when you do that? You know this. And what Jesus is trying to say is, I want you to experience more of that. You can use the resources you have. This isn't a call for us to never have anything nice, to always live in poverty. This isn't a call for that. This is a call to reality to say, you can either let money manage you, or you can manage money. God sees money as a tool. That's it. We in our culture see money as the end all. And that's a fake, false, and hollow God. And it's nothing that we're called to chase after. And you know, friends, and probably even yourself, at times, when you've gotten caught up trying to pursue that to the fullest of its potential, to the way where it's stolen your heart, because he goes on. Jesus goes on, and he says some more things. He's under, unpacking. In verse 10, he says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. 
So if you have not been trustworthy when handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? He's speaking about heaven and the true riches that God's gonna establish. You have temporary stuff. Hey, Jack, this, like, trustworthy a little, trustworthy with a lot, like, it almost feels like God's watching how I deal with my money. Yep. Yeah, he is. You watch your kids, don't you? If you have nieces, nephews, no one hands a 10-year-old a $5,000 Visa card. Nobody. Why? It's stupid. Two, you want to know how they're going to use it, right? You want to give examples. Here's $5. We're going to the store. I want to I watch the tug of your heart. Money is never about finances. Money is always about your heart. It's always about what's going on inside of you, and so we as parents want to teach our children how to be wise with money, right? We do that. We're testing as they're growing up. That's what we're doing. How many of you are airband, like hairband fans? Van Halen, anyone? Van Halen had this M&M clause in their rider. I don't know if you ever heard it. But what they would do is they would show up with nine rigs, right? Nine semi-trucks for these incredible shows back in the 80s music. So uh, they would show up, right? And they would be there in a way. And what they would do with all this, it was like a phone book writer. It was incredible what they were asking for. And right smack dab in the middle, they put an M&M clause. And what they said is, we want a bowl of M&Ms in our dressing room. No brown ones. Zero, take them all out. Now, you may look at that and go, divas, Pfft. you know, rock stars, no brown M&Ms. But what they were doing when they showed up at a show, they walked into their dressing room and they looked at the M&Ms. And when they found a brown one, they said, hmm, must not have read our writer very close. Go double check everything. They canceled the show in Colorado because they realized the weight of what they were going to put on the stage would have caved in the, the whole stage and collapsed it. You know who they got paid? They got paid <laughs> because it was in the rider. And that little M&M test was a test to see if people were actually following through. Jesus is saying, I want to know if my followers are trustworthy because it matters. We're playing for stakes that are way higher than you think because what you see is not all there is. There is a spiritual reality to life. And what we talked about last week, Jesus and people, they are the most precious thing to him. And it matters what we invest in, what we take our little bit of time and our little bit of resources to try to do a kingdom and godly good. It matters and so is God watching how we use money? Yes, he is, friend. Yes, he is. I don't know how else to say it. I know that probably makes you feel uncomfortable. It makes me feel uncomfortable as well. It may feel like, oh, wow, I don't know if I like God doing that. Yeah. Oh, well. Because he says he does. Not probably in a judgmental way. I think it's in a way, listen, if God wanted your money, he'd take it. That's the truth. That's not how God operates. It's not how he works. But I really do think there's some trustworthiness here that he's looking for. 
Not only is God looking for his followers to be trustworthy, he's looking for them to be devoted. Jesus goes on, he says this. This is the famous phrase you probably heard. Verse 12, if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will, who will give you property of your own? He's reminding us, hey, look, all you have is temporary. I'm gonna give you stuff that's eternal. So let's just kind of keep that in mind. He goes on, no one can serve two masters. This is what you've heard before. Either you'll hate the one, love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He goes on. This is where we get a little commentary about the Pharisees. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. Sneering comes deep within your heart, doesn't it? Then he says to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. What you have circled your mind around, what he says again is no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one, love the other, be devoted to one, despise the other. The truth is, friends, you will be devoted to one of those two, period. There's no option, there's no third option. You'll either devote your life to money or you'll devote your life to God. And what God is calling for is you devote your life to me. Let's begin to expand your mindset and understanding that you're a manager, not the owner. Let's begin to expand your mindset to see that what you see is not all that's there. Let's begin to expand your mindset to have you live with a discipline that says, I want to leverage the little bit of time I have on this planet and the little bit of opportunity and the little bit of resources that I'm managing for the ultimate godly good of what it can do to change God's story and to change the lives of people. I gotta live, I gotta eat, you gotta do all that, and I think what God says is if you will trust me with this, I will take care of everything else. Isn't that what we looked at two weeks ago? Jesus and worry, and so much of our worry in our culture is about this uh, accumulation and consumption mess. And this pursuit that our world tells us, this is what you gotta go after. And I think what Jesus is wanting to see his followers begin to see is look, you're gonna have accumulation and consumption in life, that's the reality of it, you're temporary, but I want you to live with a heart that's bent on circulation. Let's get things out to begin to move God's story forward. And you can do that in a bunch of tangible ways. I'm gonna catch way up with my notes here. So, you know, I think in, um, you know, God is, is calling us to be devoted. God is saying, look, don't get stuck in this accumulation consumption cycle that's never ending. I want you to live with this heart that's trustworthy, this heart that's devoted, and I want you to begin to see how you can begin to live this out in practical, tangible ways, and I'm gonna help you. I think God's calling us to different things, to recognize that, hey, I'm a manager. I'm not an owner. To recognize that to give to God, you've heard this said, you will never outgive God. You just can't. I know for Amy and I, you know, giving was, when we first got married, uh, was a struggle at times. Um, but we made a decision many, many years ago to say, you know, the local church, Jesus said, I'm gonna build a church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. So if Jesus is gonna build his church, and then I better put my money where my mouth is for what matters most to him. And so we just started tithing. 
And I know there's a lot of argument about tithe in the Old Testament, 10%. You know, is, this, is it the same in the New Testament? Blah, 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 blah. And look, don't get stuck on a percentage. I, I think you just get lost when you, when you make that the battle. Everybody loses. The truth is, this is about trust. And this is about saying, God, I want to leverage the little bit of time I have. And I know it's temporary. I want to leverage the little bit of ability and opportunity and, and resources that you've allowed me to manage. And I want to leverage those for the godly good that can be done in this world that will meet me in the next. Jesus says where your heart, where your treasure is, your heart will be there also. So invest in things that outlive you, out things that are not temporary. And so as a couple, we've just said, hey, that's the first thing we do. We give to Element City Church. That's what we do. And it's what we give. It's not the only thing we do. In fact, we want to grow a generous heart within us. And so we start there. And we say, we want to do this first. It's a priority to us. We have a plan for it, and we do it. And then we say, we've got, you know, this compassion child in uh, Ecuador that we love. And we're all in. Every month, we support her. We're writing her letters. We're trying to go see her. She's ours. We haven't adopted her. We just love her a lot. And we're trying to love her well and we want her to grow up well. We've got opportunities, I, I sit on a board with a great organization here in town that's doing a lot with athletes, and so from time to time we say, hey, we wanna, we wanna move that forward a little bit. And so we've got different things to do. I think God wants to grow a generous heart within you, and our world wants to, to kinda nip it in the bud and take it away. Now, do you have to live with margin a little bit in order to do that? Yeah, that's why God actually has a lot to say about money about not overextending yourself, about actually trying to live within your means so that you have the opportunity to invest in other things. So many people argue, well, I don't know, that's overwhelming, 10%, ah. Listen, here's what my encouragement to you would be. I think it matters that we give to the things that Jesus said these matter, and I'm gonna build it. So two things. One is, I just wanna say thank you to every single one of you who <laughs> in a lot of ways have linked arms with us. We're a church plant two years in. It's crazy the journey we've been on. It's unbelievable the opportunity that we have. There's so many things we want to say yes to that we can't. There's so many things and opportunities that stare us in the face that say this matters, we can do this, we can knock this out, and we can't yet. That's okay. We can't fix everything but we can fix the next thing. And so that's the principle we live by. You can't do, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone, but there's a lot of everyones that we'd love to expand to. And so we're gonna do a little family chat here in a second. I'll wrap it up, but <coughs> I wanna say thank you to every one of you who have linked arms with us and who give to this place and give to the call that God has upon this church to make a difference here in Midtown and here in our city. And the second thing is, if you have never done that, if you've never been a part of giving anything back to God, then unapologetically, I'm gonna ask you to do it. I'm gonna ask that you would pray about it and that you would start somewhere. I'm not checking. I don't care. I don't want this from you. I want this for you because I want you to experience the joy of having generosity grow in your heart because it's fun. And because you see God do things and change lives, and you know you played a part in that. It's amazing, friends. 
So I want to encourage you unapologetically that if you call Element City home, or, or maybe you're investigated in and you might call it home, then, uh, man, we'd, we'd love to partner together to do more and to, to be bold uh, in our city. And so we encourage you to think about that. And I want to give you kind of a family chat because we haven't done this in a long time. Um, I got so much more to share, but I'm way over time. <coughs> Here's what I'd love to say. Um, money is a tool, uh, and I want to let you know about that. So uh, that's how God sees it. Right there, right now this year, um, into the end of February, and our board knows this, and they're great people, um, we've brought in, I think, $176,000 so far uh, this year. We're pr- kind of projecting that we're going to end up about 256, maybe 260. Um, expenses are a little bit over, uh, but the beauty is we had a surplus from last year. We finished at just over 300000 uh, Last fiscal year, we go July through June, uh, not calendar year. And uh, so we had some surplus that we're kind of living off of. Expenses on an average month, like if I just think about average months, average month income is anywhere from eighteen to 25000 somewhere in there. Uh, expenses goes anywhere from 18 to 21, sometimes a little bit higher if we've got projects or things going on. We practice this. We've talked about this money, uh, money rhythm before, the idea of give, save, live, and that's what we do as a church, and so everything that comes in, we give away 10%. We set it aside for missions and future church planning. That's what we give to, and so uh, 10% of what comes in, we set it aside for that. So the project we just did at John B. Wright Elementary costs, I think, about 4,500 bucks. Uh, we paid for that every dime of that as a church to bless that school. Now, some people may argue, well, TSD should pay for that. Well, they're not, okay? So we did. Um, so nitter nitter. Um, but we want to be a church that does stuff, not just talk about it, but do it. Um, and so expenses-wise, I know some people like a big overview. I can give you more details, but the reality is you got payroll, you got to pay. You got two full-time uh, pastors here. You got three part-time staff, and you got one intern raising his own support. That's what you got, payroll. Uh, we're not rich. You know, we're paid okay, and, and that's good. That's where we want to be and, and healthy in that, and so thank you for that. You've got expenses of all the facilities we rent from here to uh, facilities at the office that we have, and we've got different, uh, the lease, all this audio equipment that you have and that you see before you is on a lease to own. We will own it at the end of 2017. But until then, we're paying 2300 a month uh, to pay for it. It takes money uh, to do church as you know it. That's the reality. There's no money ferry uh, that floats around. If you ever see one, let me know. But <clears throat> the reality is it, it takes this church from time to time. We have a little family chat just to update you. Here's where we are. We don't have anything to hide. We're not being bashful about it. We're being very good stewards of what God is leveraging our little bit of time and our little church to make a big kingdom impact the best we can. And so we're trying to live on what comes in, live from the surplus, and I'm just letting you know where it's at, what it is. If you have more questions about that, I'd be happy to answer uh, for you. But the truth is, as a church, we've got greater dreams, friends. So many more dreams of what we'd love to do and where we'd like to go. And we'd love to do that more together as we invite folks into a life-giving, life-changing relationship with Jesus. And so I want to encourage you to, to think about it, to pray about it, maybe to partner in with us, ask questions, and join us in the opportunity and the journey that we're on. Very simply, to leverage the little bit of time that we have, the little bit of opportunity as a church that's before us, to do a godly kingdom good 
that will leave an impact beyond anything we can get our minds around. So that when we show up in heaven, people say, man, thanks. I'm here because of you. How cool will that be? And so as we move into a time of communion, one last song here. Uh, I just wanna pray for us as a church, our journey that we're on. Pray for you individually. Because uh, I know this is a struggle. I know it's a tension. I know it, it's easy to look at this and go, ah, and shut down but I think there's a step here for each one of us to evaluate, to pray about, and to figure out what our next step in this, and how do we begin to see money the way God sees money? Because if we see it the way he sees it, then we're more inclined to begin to do what he says. How do we begin to get our mind around that? So Father, we thank you for the grace of Jesus. As we remember in communion here in a minute, that he gave everything he had that God, you are the most generous being in the world. And it's your generosity that stirs and moves your grace forward because you love people and you wanted to make a way. And you've established your church to, in a lot of ways, put you on display for the world to see. And so we ask for your blessing upon Element City Church, upon your church all throughout Tucson. God, I'm just convinced if the church, the capital C church, just gave, whatever percentage it, it just did it. There are so many things we could eradicate in this community, in this world. So Father, would you give us a generous heart, a heart that wants to grow in that, and a heart that takes steps in that. And so we thank you for the generosity of your love and your grace, your death, your resurrection, Jesus. As we remember you in that, as we sing this final song together, we ask for your blessing and your guidance this week as we wrestle with this and figure out our next step in it. Thank you, Jesus.